Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here's your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin. Good to have you with us, everybody. Proud to be sponsored by some of the best companies and hosted with some of the best people in the industry and having some of the best guests on the program. So good to have you join us. It is February 6th, Monday. What a Super Bowl party and a Super Bowl game that was. One of the best we have had in a long time, one of the best ones I can remember anyway. And uh, inspirational in many ways, talking about the ultimate comeback. So where is production going to be? What is servicing going to be? Well, we're going to be talking about that in the Hot topic segment. Is this the time to be getting into it? What's, what should be your strategy? Well, we have with us Mark Jones of AmeriFirst Mortgage Banking Group. He's chief executive officer and co-founder of the company. We'll be talking about this. We've had Mark on as a guest before, and it is always just so interesting. And he has been committed to servicing, and he's been growing his portfolio. And we're going to be getting his take on where things are headed as it relates to loan servicing. Again, this is all ahead of the loan servicing conference that's coming up here February 14th through the 17th in Gaylord, uh, Texas, there in the Dallas area, the Grapevine uh, Dallas area. So anyway, looking forward to seeing many of you there. Again, this program is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals, and we are the proud recipient of the Innovation Award by Progress in Lending. Again, we are just excited to have our sponsors, ArchMI, with the Innovative Rate Star Program, the Motivity Solutions, which also is the reporting and dashboard scorecard company, does a great job of really reporting what's going on in real time in your uh, inside of your company. I love the real-time aspect of that. Then also Velma, an efficient marketing machine that really helps through an email platform really deliver your message out to your targeted market as well as Simplifile, a real-time electronic exchange. And then, of course, the Mortgage Collaborative, the power of the network. I'll talk more about that a little bit later. And D&H, moving your world forward through technology. And they are a leader in the industry with uh, 140 years of experience and 5,500 employees serving 8,000 clients in seven 70 countries. Pretty impressive what they do. And I encourage you to check out their website, dh.com. A lot going on with them. And... Uh, they just had came off one of the most successful years uh, for growth. And so a lot of companies are selecting that solution. I encourage you to check it out at dh.com or call them at 1-800-815-5592. So good to have all of you with us. And then joining us again today, of course, we have Alice, Andy, Joe, Paul, Sam, and then our special guest, Mark Jones, a little bit later in the Hot Topic segment. Upcoming conferences, we already talked about the uh, servicing conference coming up on February 14th through the 17th in the Dallas area at the in Grapevine at the Gaylord. Spectacular conference, one I recommend you all uh, check out. We talked a little bit about it with Marina Walsh last week. Also, February 22nd through the 23rd, MBA's Mergers and Acquisition Workshop. I'm hosting the Super Session and will be the moderator of it. Be very excited to talk about uh, all that's going on in that area. I mean, that, that particular panel is it, it's really a star-studded uh, group of some top, pop, top mortgage professionals from the GSEs, uh, Fannie, Freddie, Jenny, as well as um, some just 
key attorneys in there. Mitch Kaiser will be on the on the presenting as uh, well as uh, Keith Mayavich May. So very excited about having that uh, being a, get a chance to moderate the, that workshop. And then also on March 1st through the 4th, the Mortgage Collaborative Winter Conference is going on. It's also going on at the same time. We're very close to when the President's Conference. We support both of these organizations. And of course, the MBA, we have such a close partnership. I am a member of the Mortgage Collaborative. And there's real benefits of both these organizations. They're small, intimate organizations that really are collaborative events. We're bringing industry top professionals together and encourage you to look into both of those. I love, it's just a bummer that this year, I think the, the two conferences are on top of each other, but just love our partnership with both the MBA and of course our friends there at the Mortgage Collaborative. Also check out all the other conferences that are coming out throughout the year. We got the secondary conference coming up a little bit later on in the year. It's going to be a good one this year, especially with all the developments. What does it mean when we have President Trump out there? What's going to be changing, especially with the GSEs? We're getting some little bit of insights into it. And uh, that's conference we should have a little bit more insights. So anyway, check it all out at MBA Conferences and Education. And while you're there, sign up for the Mortgage Action Alliance. Joe Farr, good to have you here with us this fine day, post-Super Bowl. Did you get a chance to watch the game? Absolutely. I couldn't leave it. That was that was Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I got to tell you, the first half was like, just blow it out. And then you look at the second, I mean, ultimate comeback. No other game has been that much of a comeback no. in the second half. It's just really wonderful. Love it. And I'm not a, I wasn't a Patriots fan, but I, I think they won me over. They took away some of the, uh, some of the disdain I've had for them. I love my Seahawks, but anyway, let's talk about the markets and not the okay. Super Bowl. What's going on today? Well, we're up. We're up nicely today. We're up about eight thirty seconds or a quarter of a point on the day, and you know it opened up um, this morning a little higher. Uh, you know, some minor weakness in Europe, but uh, also had the Mario Draghi uh, press conference today and. In it, he he indicated no desire to um, curtail his uh, bond purchase program, and quite frankly, MBS prices kind of dipped on uh, about the same time he was making that announcement. I don't know if he had pre-released the uh, terms or, or not the terms, but the the content of his uh, speech beforehand. But anyway, we're back up to near the high for the day, and. Uh, the other thing that's happened is we might have just recovered some of Friday's late afternoon loss, and I'll get into yeah. that in just a minute. Yeah. But uh, so yeah, we're up up a quarter of a point today. And uh, you know, mm-hmm. last week, uh, you know, if you if you look at MBS prices from beginning of the the week or the end of the prior week to the end of the last week, there was virtually no movement. MBS prices ended the day about three thirty seconds better than where they began the day. That's only nine basis points. So. But if you look at price movement intraday, it's a really a different story. Um, every day but Monday last week, we saw price changes. Some were favorable, some were unfavorable. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, just kind of going through that day by day. Uh, if you looked at Tuesday, we we rallied early following a week's Chicago PMI, and and that caused uh, some favorable price changes. Then the rally fizzled, and we saw some unfavorable price changes. On Wednesday, a strong ADP sent prices lower in the morning, only to rally back later in the day uh, following the Fed meeting. The Fed meeting made no changes, which you know was sort of highly expected. But I think you know just the concern that there might be a change caused some uh, some people to hold off. And once they made no change, they got back into buying, and we saw a little rally there, and favorable repricing was seen. Uh, 
same on Thursday, price changes, uh, prices uh, continued the the Fed rally, uh, uh, but gave back much of it later and uh, toward the end of the day. And then on Friday, we had probably the biggest swings of all. Uh, at one point, uh, you know, when the jobs report came out, uh, one the the number of jobs was higher than expected, two twenty seven versus one seventy. You'd right. think that'd be bad for mortgage rates, but what uh, what investors liked about the jobs report was the wage inflation number. It showed a um, one-tenth increase in January, and uh, uh, that was following what had been a four-tenth increase in, in December. Now, that December four-tenths was revised a little bit lower, so the combination of those two was seen as very favorable. And uh, MBS prices improved, and... Uh, trying to see how much uh, they were up about half a point from the lows after that jobs report came out. But then by the end of the day, all of that had been reversed. I uh, uh, can't point to anything that caused that to happen, just market volatility and, and trading in a range. And um, yeah. So uh, maybe this morning was recovering some of that late-day loss in, in prices. So it was a volatile week and, and one – uh, uh, where again, if you just step back and looked at it from from week to week, you'd say, "Oh, it's nothing." But it really, was a lot of movement going on during the during the day, every day last week. Uh, and so, Dave, looking at this week, there's really not a lot on the calendar this week. Uh, jolts and trade balance comes out yeah. tomorrow. Uh, Important price treasury auctions in there, but yeah, the, and they're the ten and the thirty, which can be uh, uh, significant, but. You know, if, if today's any example, if last week's any example, uh, I guess you can just anticipate that there's going to be some movement, whether it's uh, directed by uh, economic events or, or things overseas or or the stock market, right. uh, political. You know, it, it's just getting, uh, uh, you know, movements coming from all different areas. Well, there's, you know, and when you have this kind of volatility, we talk about this every week. At you know, how are people managing it? How are they communicating it? And uh, the better they are at anticipating it by going to your website, seeing what's on the calendar, looking at the current activity and what the latest headlines are, you do a great job, Joe, of really covering that. I encourage our listeners to check it out, mbsquoteline.com, and we're thrilled to have them. Joe, thrilled to have you be a part of it and a sponsor also, the sponsor of the program. So, one of the sponsors. So, good to have you here, my friend. We're going to be right back. We've got Paul Mollo on the line. Get a report from him. We'll be right back after this brief break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteland delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect. And know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at MBS. MBSQuoteLine.com. MBSQuoteLine.com. 646-716-4972. The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin. Good to have you with us, everybody. It is Monday, February 6th. We're going to have Mark Jones a little bit later on the Hot Topic segment, but joining us now is Paul Malo from Inside Mortgage Finance, imfnews.com. Get to that website if you haven't already. Sign up for the weekly or daily newsletter, 
It's valuable and information. Looking over the headlines right now, Paul, seeing some of the things. Uh, interested to hear your thoughts on uh, what Carson wants. That's down in the stories. George Brooks did that story. But give us a rundown. Good to have you here, friend. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. You're not going to ask me about the Super Bowl, huh? <laughs> well, yeah, I suspect. Well, okay, so what's your thoughts on I'm the a Super New York, Bowl? I'm a New York Giants fan, and uh, I love when the Giants know. beat the Patriots those years ago, but uh, that catch by you know Edelman when he that it looked like that ball had hit the ground, but it, it didn't. It was just it was fabulous. Uh, anyway, it, it was, was a yeah. game. Yeah, it was. I mean, yeah. who thought it, it, they'd come back from that deficit? So, but yeah, we're, I, we're I, all I talking about it. Everyone's talking. You about did not. It. I know we're 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 all talking about it, and uh, there's a lot of people, and the vast majority of people I polled said, "No, I'm not a Patriots fan. In fact, I'm a Patriots hater." And so I'm going. You know, when you look at that kind of level of uh, uh, people that do not like you, and yet you can play that kind of game, it comes back that's focus. It's 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 inspirational. I tell you, I'm reconsidering all my feelings. Yeah, no, no, stay stay with the Seahawks. No. Stay with the Seahawks. Stay with the Hawks. Okay, good. When well, you stay with the Giants, I know you will anyway. So will. anyway, let's go through the headlines, my friend. Sure, sure, sure. Well, listen, uh, we're still counting the jumbo origination. Some of the results have come out for some of the shops. Uh, First Republican flag star, they had increases in jumbo lending in the fourth quarter and some of the other companies uh, like Everbank and um, uh, Bank of Internet Holding, they had some drops in jumbo. We're still gathering the uh, stats for the fourth quarter. That's something we do all the time here at Inside Mortgage uh, Finance with our polling and our rankings, and we'll have a better picture of the jumbo market uh, for the fourth quarter. But, you know, in general, you know, jumbo business looks, you know, pretty decent right now. Yeah. you know, keep in mind that some people uh, buy buy homes by cashing out of their stock gains, and there's been phenomenal stock gains the last three or four months. Yes. And uh, people who, you know, feel like maybe the market's peaked, they might take some money out of the market and put it into real estate, whether it's an owner-occupant or a trade-up or, or maybe, you know, someone buying a second home. So we'll see. Uh, the big the big story last week was uh, Citigroup's uh, exit from the servicing business. Uh, by that, I mean they're not going to process loans anymore. They sold a big chunk or are going to sell a big chunk of servicing to New Res, that publicly traded read, and that deal has sparked a lot of chatter that, you know, Citigroup's might still own some servicing, but they're not going to process it anymore. And people are speculating that, you know, maybe this is their way of slowly getting out of the mortgage business. Maybe not. We asked Citigroup that question. They said, no, we're staying in as a lender. But, you know, we've heard this before where, you know, people get out as a servicer, and then lo and behold, that's just the first move to getting out of the business entirely. It doesn't mean it's going to happen that way. Citigroup may very well stay in the business as a lender, but there's a lot of chatter about what they're up to, what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, J.P. Morgan, uh, they're working on another non-agency MBS. This is the, the, those strange deals where they actually take agency-eligible loans and they securitize them in a non-agency deal. Uh, they're going to couple some stuff that they got from Two Harbors along with some other loans they got from other lenders, and they're going to come to market with a new security. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, PHH is going to come out with their earnings soon. Uh, in that earnings release, they're going to talk about um, – what's going uh, forward with their strategic review, and they promise that that review is going to conclude, uh, con- uh, conclude or include uh, evaluations on their strategic plan, which will also mention uh, execution actions going forward. It looks like PHH is in liquidation mode, but who knows what's going to happen with that shop. Stay tuned for their fourth quarter results. Uh, ben Carson, he's talking about who he wants as FHA commissioner. Uh, we've reported on several names that have been kicked around for the uh, Deputy HUD Secretary, 
the FHA commissioner, the Ginny May chief, um, you know, who knows? You know, Carson's having lunch with a lot of people. You know, we had lunch with Brian Montgomery. He's at the Collingwood Group. Brian used to be uh, at HUD. Uh, I know he's been talking to Rick Lazio, former congressman in New York. Those are just some of the right. names that have been mentioned. We'll see. Uh, I should point out that Carson has not been uh, yet voted on by the full Senate. He's cleared the banking committee. Uh, it looks like he's going to get the full uh, Senate approval. That's that. That's not up in the air at all. He's he's the guy, uh, and we'll see how this plays out. Uh, short takes. We talked a little bit um, about this and that, including uh, what's coming on with the Dodd Frank rewrite. Uh, Hensling's going to supposedly introduce a bill in the next week or two. Uh, that was also something that broke late in the week about Trump signing the executive order on redoing Dodd Frank. Uh, but just because he signs the executive order doesn't mean it's going to happen right away. Right. Uh, there's a legislative process here. There's not too much he can do with the executive order with the pen, as he's already learned on the immigration issue. Uh, so we'll see what happens. So that is about it for today. Great website. Good amount of information on there, and you're quick to get out the the stories and talk about it from get some additional insights as to what some some of the things are. And you do it so responsibly, you don't follow the rumors, or at least you do as good a job as you can to stay on top of the rumors. You do a good we job the all the way around. <laughs> we yeah, we all yeah, I mean. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> like I was like one place I worked at. They said if you haven't heard a rumor by 9 a.m., you start one. That's just a, not the best culture, <laughs> but anyway. Is that to hear your voice. Thanks so much. Gotcha. I uh, I'm looking forward to following you out throughout the week and encourage our listeners to do the same. Go to imfnews.com and sign up. You can look for it. It's right there. Put in the email address at the bottom of the 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 website and you'll uh, you'll start getting these delivered to your email box. Paul, thanks so much. Appreciate you, you being with us, my friend. Have a good week. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. And folks, we're going to be right back. We're going to just uh, hear a word from our friend at Velma. Get a word update from how you can set up your marketing program. Are you using one of those expensive CRMs that your loan officers won't use? If so, then give my friends at Velma a call and let them help you create a customer journey that relies on the data and not on loan officer interaction. I encourage you to consider working with Velma to create a truly automated marketing experience for your organization. Velma makes marketing automation easy. Schedule a demo today at Velma.com, V-E-L-M-A dot com. Simplifile has technology that gives you the ability to collaborate with settlement agents via real-time chat and messaging, allowing you to track changes, send, receive, and validate documents, as well as obtain status updates and deal with issues as they arise. All of this in a real-time electronic communication exchange. And best of all, you have a complete audit trail of all communications. To learn more, go to Simplifile.com or call our good friend Nancy Alley at 1-800-460-5657. Good to have you with us, everybody. Alice Alvey, good to have you on the line. It was fun being with you in California, presenting with you. Lots of feedback, Alice, on our presentation. And uh, very excited to hear your report today. What's your boy? What's a lot of headlines out of the NBA? And did you see the the, the announcement, Alice, that they made about um, the, that they made last week, having to do with GSE reform principles and quadrangles? Did you see all that? Get a chance to? Yes, we did see that, and we're we're still studying that because I think there's so much involved in order to be able to make sure we can uh, present that to our listeners. So that is on our project list. 
to actually cover Good. and discuss on a future show where we can really stretch out and give folks kind of a, a where yeah. we think it's headed and, you know, from layman's terms. So <laughs> that's, yeah. on, that's a whole hot topic in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. To keep, uh, to dissect that. So, but as, um, as Paul pointed out, you know, Trump did, I'm sorry, President Trodd did sign the executive order to change Dodd Frank, but that's a big wait and see, right? There's quite a few articles out there. Um, certainly read what um, his publication has. You know, we'll wait and see what is actually something that they can make change effective on there. There's no such thing as being able to throw it all out. For one, I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to live through reprogramming and trying to go back to a GFE, right? There's some things we want to just say, just leave it alone. We got it down right now. Right. <laughs> we don't need any more disruption. We want to focus on sales right now. Uh, so that's a big wait and see. Um, some of the other things that uh, were in the news was the court denying the three, mo- three motions to defend the CFPB against CHH. So um, as you may be aware, you know, it is sitting out there still, the, the, judge, the three-judge panel that ruled that the CFPB um, as a single lead was um, unconstitutional. So that is hanging over their head to try and pursue getting that uh, corrected and resolved. And, of course, that may play a little bit with this um, executive order since that's what created the CFPB in the first place. So all of that will be some moving parts working together that we'll watch. Um, But more kind of along the lines of updates in the uh, industry, uh, Fannie Mae did issue a new statement or a new, I'm sorry, a new selling announcement about appraiser trainees uh, being able to sign for property inspections. So they are trying to do things to relieve some of the pressure for appraisers today. But in talking with a large group of our lenders here in Michigan, they were not really jumping all over this and they were trying to do a wait and see to see because ultimately it's the appraiser who has to say, sure, I'll sign off on having a trainee go to the house and I'll take full accountability for the appraisal. And so we're still waiting to see. That just came out a little over a week ago, and we'll wait. That's a really a wait and see right now to see if it'll have any measurable change. Um, so Freddie Mac announced the new loan product advisor um, accepting some mortgages without borrower credit scores, so go check that out. Um, another thing from a legislative standpoint, right, we have a new – Uh, a new congressional group out there and we're watching so far we've got about 15 bills that have been introduced and one of them is about requiring HUD to discount FHMI for the first time home buyer so as you all know we had the flip-flop on the MIP and now we're back to no change but this is um, House Bill 81 it's been referred to committee and we'll see if this gets any legs trying to put back the age old you know have the borrower take a housing counseling program and then they get to reduce MI you know, as opposed to a blanket approach. Um, one of the other uh, bills out there that at least has a matching House and Senate bill would be trying to maintain as a permanent exclusion the gross income from any principal discharge from a borrower who's then, uh, put, you know, gone through foreclosure and may have uh, gotten some forgiveness on the unpaid principal balance. Uh, so other than that, the other 15 are your typical, uh, you know, make sure we keep interest deductions or don't have interest deductions <laughs> and, um, you know, the, the restricting FHA to make sure that, uh, I'm sorry, restricting treasury to make sure that the FHA, if it needed money, was only gonna, the money would only be used to pay claims. So those bills have all been out there the last couple of years and gone nowhere. And we'll just uh, we'll keep you up to speed if anything gets any legs in the next, uh, next few uh, reports. So that's 
That's all that's kicked off so far this year, Dave. And I'll pass it back to so you. So far this year. Yeah, it's good. Excellent stuff. Thank you, Alice. And, folks, if you want looking for someone to come in and help you with training and a whole lot of other things, reviewing your operations, get a hold of Alice Alvey. And to learn more, stay tuned. We'll be right back with this after this brief break. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. The Mortgage Collaborative was founded by former chairman of the NBA, John Robbins and David Kittle, and leaders at the forefront of the diversity movement in the real estate industry, Jim Park and Gary Acosta. The Mortgage Collaborative is the nation's only independent cooperative. The Collaborative provides its members the opportunity to meet and form meaningful relationships with top mortgage professionals and leaders in our industry. In a relationship-driven business such as ours, often who you know is as important as what you know. To learn more, go to mortgagecollaborative.com or call Rich Swarbinski at 440-552-0691. The power of the network. Hey, David. I don't know what happened to you, but I'm here. This is Sam. Oh, Burke. there you are. I was I hit the, forgot to hit that mute button. Anyway, Sam, good to have you here with us. I was just saying, Mortgage Collaborative, the Winter Conference, is uh, the 1st through the 3rd of March. Anyway, Sam, good to have you here. You're jumping in there like you, and you know it's your turn, eager to go. So let's hear what's on your website and some of the news that you're following. I always love your data points as well. Yeah, you know, I heard uh, Joe talking uh, about the uh, employment report and how the rates kind of moved. Uh, first they were better, and then they got worse late in the day. You know what? I see that every time there's an employment report. It's like whatever you expect the rates to do as a result of it yeah. being stronger or weaker, it seems like they go the opposite direction in the morning, but by the end of the day, they're where they should have been, it seems. so. But uh, anyway, um, that report uh, from the Bureau of Labor Statistics indicated that there were 334,300 mortgage jobs in December. That count was up from, you know, uh, I don't know, about 3,000 3, from November, and it uh, was up, gosh, 27,000 from December 2015. So, you know, mortgage jobs have been on the increase, as they will probably uh, in the next report or two. Um, but using that BLS data, we're able to use uh, also uh, origination share that we determine, and our analysis indicates that the total uh, for the industry, including jobs at uh, financial institutions, were roughly uh, 697,700 as of year-end 2016, and that includes 301,000 jobs at banks, uh, 61,700 at credit unions, and then the 334,000 that was reported for non-bank uh, employees at the uh, by the BLS. Um, we did a, our, we actually put out our mortgage employment index for the third quarter today, and that report indicated that uh, based on the jobs we tracked, California uh, had increased its mortgage staffing by nearly 600 during the quarter, and that turned out to be more than any other state. Uh, even though Texas was pretty close by, uh, behind. And then over in yeah. Florida, the drop they had a drop of about 368 jobs that we tracked, so that was the worst that we tracked of any state. So uh, just to give you a sense, it's like these mortgage jobs have been growing. California, Texas have been taking advantage of it. Florida took a little bit of a hit. So uh, we uh, we tracked a 
uh, an increase of 725 jobs in the third quarter at Caliber Home Loans. That was the most of any company we uh, we have records on. Um, and then over at Walter Investments and its subsidiaries, we tracked a 600 job loss. So that was the biggest loss of any company. Um, Fannie Mae issuance uh, took a tumble uh, during the first month of this year. We get this data from uh, EMBS, and it indicates that overall fixed rate agency MBS issuance, you know, by Fannie, Freddie, and Jenny fell 16% in January from the prior month to $132 billion. Um, and over at Fannie, the, they actually saw a 26% slide in business to $53 billion. So uh, first month of the year, a little weak there. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll start to see uh, those numbers diminish as the refinances, uh, you know, work their way through the system and, and, and fall. Um, our mortgage market index, which of course is a reflection of rate lock volume over at Open Close, jumped 12% last week. Um, both refinances and purchases were up, um, even though still the the business was down 18% from the same week last year. Um, out front of that gain on the week over week basis was jumbo business, which soared 26% from the prior report. Um, we got data from American Bankruptcy Institute, and that indicates that during the first month of this year, there were 52,421 consumer bankruptcies. Um, that was a 2% dip from December, but it was a 5% increase from January 2016. So year over year, uh, things got a little worse, and they don't see over at ABI that uh, there's going to be much more improvement going forward. Um, over at PennyMac, of course, you know we cover all these uh, quarterly originations right. at each of the big players out there, and uh, we, we covered quite a few last week. But the one that stood out was PennyMac because they said in their fourth quarter earnings report that they closed a record seventy billion dollars in mortgage production last year, so the most ever for PennyMac. And in addition, the twenty-two billion dollars they closed in just the fourth quarter was also a record for any quarter. Um, over at MIAC, they, uh, of course, broker uh, MSRs, and they announced last week a MSR offering um, that involves uh, uh, servicing rights on $125 million, sorry, uh, million dollars in Fannie Mae loans per month. Um, and based on the seller's desire for a future flow delivery of as many as 18 months, that deal could wind up providing uh, more than $2 billion in loans, uh, MSRs on those, uh, over you know 18-month period. Hmm. Um, the uh, other headline I wanted to cover before I go here was that the CFPB announced a $3.5 million settlement with Prospect Mortgage. Um, that settlement is related to referral fee or referral payments made through its MSAs. There were two realtors involved, and there was also a, a, a servicer who was providing uh, refinance prospects. And um, you know that that followed uh, another settlement. There was a multi-state settlement that was announced in November 2015 with Prospect, also related to uh, payments it made. To uh, in that case, it was one of uh, related companies. But anyway, those are the big headlines. It was a good Super Bowl, lots of extra advertising without overtime. Oh, yes. Yeah, no kidding. So they made extra revenue on that. I looked at that and I go, someone's smiling on this overtime, especially with yeah. the, how it held everyone to the game at the end. It was really good. Sam, thanks so good. Thank you so much. You do a good job on all of this. I'm chuckling because I'm mixing those two sentences up there. But anyway, if you want to get a hold of Sam, email him at samgarcia at mortgagedaily.com or call him at 214-521-1300. But all, by all means, check out the website, mortgagedaily.com. Sam, thank you so much. And. Uh
And now what are we going to do and not football to talk about and think about? You know? I don't know. Yeah. We'll find something, David. Start we thinking about <laughs> find something to focus on the Cowboys next year. Cowboys and Seahawks, the two jerseys I carry. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much, friend. Appreciate it so much. Have a great rest of the day. Folks, we're going to be right back. We've got Jim Jump with an update on the um, Race Star program. We'll be right back after this brief word. Thanks, David. We're proud to be a sponsor of your program, and we're excited about the success of Archimize Race Star. Our dynamic risk-based pricing program gives LOs a real competitive advantage. With Race Star, lenders can qualify more eligible first-time borrowers, including millennials. Reach out to them with revolutionary Race Star. I like that. Revolutionary rate star. It's true. It is revolutionary. And some of those people are the competition. Is just, it's driving them nuts because they look at how competitive they are because of the technology they're using, how they measure the risk. And uh, I encourage you to check them out. The two companies, UG, UGI, uh, United Guarantee, and Arch are finishing up the stages of merging and operating together and uh, hanging in there with them as they go through that, doing a great job. But Andy Shell. Good to have hey, you here. The prof doctor is in the house. You were in Seattle last week, and you're back here in warm Texas. So, so how was it chipping ice off the windows? Was that fun? <laughs> well, I wasn't expecting to have to chip ice off the windshield in Seattle. But I know. sure enough, every morning, 28 degrees, and it's so moist, it's uh, bone chilling. It's yeah. actually uh, not my favorite thing to do. It's nice to be home. Yeah, it's good there. It's good, it's good now, country. I started my career there 43 years ago, but I so I have know. a warm spot for uh, for that area. But I have a warm spot to have you here and back on the program. And I know you've got some exciting things to share with our listeners, so go ahead and get right into it. Well, thanks, Dave. I wanted to talk about how we prepare to do less with more or less. And so why, well, what am I talking about? You know, as we look around the industry today and we look at – the possibility of the quantitative easing continuing to go away and even the liquidation of the MBS pool, that's going to provide uh, upward rate pressure. That's going to make rates go up. As rates go up, volume typically drops, refi goes away, and even purchases can sometimes drop a bit. And so we, we know this is happening. And then at the same time, we end up with margin compression as we all fight for the less volume that's out there. And so when we have margin compression, it means our gain on sale is going down. So if our operating expenses stay static and our gain on sale goes down, our profit starts to get eroded. So our, our profitability is impacted by this. So we need to be proactive to predict and anticipate how to react to margin compression and lower volumes, both of which are negative to our bottom line. So to fix our bottom line, we need to build capacity management systems so that we can meet our service capacity levels. Capacity management. Slow down. I, I got to get that one. Capacity management systems. Uh, and I knew you were going to explain that, but that, that uh, I'm not sure many people are familiar with that term. Well, thanks, Dave. So capacity management systems means a way of closing loans on time even when you have less people because you, you know exactly how things flow through your organization. So it's really just four easy steps to get started. It's like an infomercial. Four easy steps, and you can have a capacity management system. So all you have to do is identify the inputs that come into each function, like uh, what's the file quality of a file when it gets when the originator's finished. You got to complete 1003, and it goes to processing, or from processing to underwriting, and so forth and so on. What are those? What do the inputs look like? And then we build our workflow for all of our functions, and there may be 15, there may be 20 functions. 
where we're going to build a workflow, which is simply a list of the tasks. What happens first? What happens next? What happens next? What happens next? And evaluate the best practice around how to do the various tasks. So how do you do funding? How do you underwrite? I mean, there's, there's, there can be hundreds of steps, but we anticipate how to do things based on the inputs, like a, a uh, low FICO, self-employed borrower we know is going to take longer in underwriting than a high FICO, W-2, high earner, right, because it just goes through faster. And especially if you have day one certainty, it goes through even faster. So we've got a couple of different versions of how stuff goes through. But for each of those versions, we may have three or four. We then track those through the system, build our workflow. As we build the workflow, we then assign time to it. So for each function, we say, how long is it going to take to do this stuff? And then once you do that, you get your staff involved, make sure they're participating throughout the process. But at the end of doing all this, you've got a capacity management system because you know how long it takes to do the various things. And I know it feels daunting to talk about it like this, but just don't get too wrapped up in the tiny tasks, you know, what keystroke you hit. Focus on the major items, and then you can build this model. And now that you have a capacity management model that tracks turn times by function based on the various inputs, you know, like I said, different kinds of products and different types of borrowers with different kinds of credit risk, you have different evaluation processes, but at the end of the day, you know how long it takes to do every function. You can now minimize your staff to the maximum degree possible, rely on some outsourcing to deal with the volume overflows, because you're going to have to restructure your organization down probably 20%. Whatever your volume was last year and your capacity, when you capped out and your turn times start to extend, whatever right. that volume yeah. whether it was, drop it by 20% at least. Figure out what it takes for your staff to work at that level Use outsourcing as needed. Call up Alice. She can help you with that. And then you can make this work. Now we can preserve profitability even when we have to do more files with less people. You know, instead of a processor having 20 files in their pipeline, maybe it's got to jump to 25 or 30. They've got to be more efficient doing less. So we have to be prepared to do less loans with less people. So more or less means fewer We've got to drop operating expenses. We've got to prepare for lower volumes because we've got to preserve profitability because otherwise, if we start losing yep. money, our warehouse lenders are not going to be happy. And it's just all yeah. kinds of bad things happen. So we need to be a lean, mean fighting machine, as Bill Murray said to John Candy in the movie Stripes, one of my favorite <laughs> movies. That's great. That's a great movie. Yeah, I love that one. It's great lines. Good stuff. Yeah, excellent. So important people understand focusing on that. That's a big part of our presentation at the at the IMB conference, and I think we just can't have that message out there enough. Andy, thank you so much. The Profit Doctor is in the house. Been here. Best way to get a hold of Andy, of course, is Andy at MBS dash. Uh, excuse me. What I'm looking for, Andy at MBS team dot com. My gosh, Andy, I know that like the back of my hand. I got distracted, and, and uh, that's the best way way for you to reach. And now that one of the smartest guys I have had a privilege uh, to talk to in the industry, get to know just a wealth of information. And uh, I encourage you to get a hold of Andy and just talk to him about your business. Andy, thank you so much, friend. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. You bet. All right, let's take a quick break. Listen to John Maynell of Motivity Solutions. Give us an update, and then we're going to be on with Mark Jones. So the KPI that we're going to be focusing on now is the average resubmits. So let's take it away, or let, let John take it away and give us an update on that. Thank you, David, very much. Great to be here, as always. 
And this week we have another underwriting-focused key performance indicator, and the KPI is average resubmits per file. This single measurement can not only help lenders develop consistency in underwriting and optimize departmental processes, it can also guide business users to examine contributing tasks and processing that affect this number. KPIs in practice, and you might say by definition, are constantly on display and updated in near real time, making it much easier to pinpoint however many friction points may be combining to produce a given effect, like number of resubmissions, which can also vary by product type, another aspect that the KPI can uncover, demonstrating once again that what gets measured gets results. And with that, Dave, I will turn it back to you. Thanks very much again. Thank you so much, John. Always fun to talk to the folks at Motivity Solutions, now part of the Black Knight system. So anyway, now on to the hot topic segment. We have Mark Jones Jones. Mark Jones joining us today. Mark Join Jones joining us today. I don't know why that got talking got caught in the teeth there, Mark, but it's good to have you with us. He's Chief Executive Officer, co founder of Amerifirst Mortgage Banking Group. Mark, good to have you on the program, friend. It's nice to be here, Dave, and I'd, I'd like to hear you say that three times fast. I know. Joe, Jones joining. Jones, it should, it should yeah. be that difficult, but I think yeah. I did a little too much celebrating at that Super Bowl game. That was such a good game. And, uh, oh, it was incredible. I'll tell you what, I uh, I was traveling yesterday. I uh, was out west skiing and came came home, uh, and I got home about when the fourth quarter was starting, so I, I pretty much saw the whole game. I mean, uh, it was yeah, just incredible. Did. Yeah, yeah. Uh. I love those kind of – why is it, Mark, that we're such fans of comebacks? Even when the comeback comes from someone that, you know, you've been opposed to in the sports sense, I uh, have a lot of respect for the team, Bill Jack as a coach and all that, but why is it? I, I, if you can solve that one, you let me know. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about servicing. You were on with us about three years ago, and – Mark, your that podcast, that series of podcasts we did that month are still being downloaded. And it's for that reason that we wanted to bring you back specifically to talk about where things have developed for you and your company. So give us an update on what has happened since that last podcast we had and did about servicing. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and I, I kind of had to scratch my head and do some research, but we talked about three years ago, um, we had, we were just under a billion dollars in servicing, and so we were kind of at the at the beginning part of our journey. Uh, since then, um, uh, actually, we just hit $3.3 billion in, in wow. MSRs last month. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's about uh, 28,000 loans. We have, uh, you know, here in, in uh, West Michigan and most of the markets we service, uh, we have lower loan balances. Our, our average is somewhere around 135. Um, 55% of the portfolio is uh, is Ginnie Mae, um, and then the subset of that we probably have 30% that's USDA, 70 uh, or, uh, or 65 that's uh, that's FHA, and then a, sm- a small smidgen of, of VA, and then 45% of the aggregate is Fannie Mae. So 55% of the yeah, uh, 55 good. Ginnie, 40 Fannie, and then of the 55, it's it's mostly FHA then USDA. So. Now, how, did you bring that in house, or are you doing that through a service bureau? We uh, we we actually uh, do that in house. We have uh, we have uh, a servicing staff that's about twenty three folks right now. So you know it's wow. just we're just a little over a little over a thousand loans per FTE, which is which is which is a pretty good metric. We're trying to you know we're trying that's to push excellent. up to twelve hundred to fifteen hundred, but uh, we'll see. 
Well, I think when you go, I think some people have been more focused on pushing it up to that number, and then they see focus and not focused on quality. And uh, 80% of all complaints come from the CFPB on the servicing front. So you're doing a great job. And uh, let's talk about how servicing MSR's uh, values are doing lately. So give us an overview for yourself, for your company. How's that going? Well, I'll tell you, they're they're a lot better now. Uh, you know, the treasury, the ten-year yeah. treasuries, uh, up about 100 basis points since the middle of last summer, and and we've seen uh, multiples recover quite significantly. Uh, they're around uh, 4.1 multiple uh, on conventional, which so if your average servicing fee is 25 basis points, is you know right just a little over a point, and three and a half uh, times on government. And if you look back to where we saw them in the middle of the year, uh, it was. Three percent or three three multiples on uh, conventional and two and a half on govy and you know that that creates some earnings volatility on your on your on your income statement and and balance sheet when you have to mark those up and mark them back down and and so it's nice to see yeah, them I back wanna... up to a normal range actually exactly and I want to get the profit doctor on a little bit later on that so profit doctor come back let's talk about that volatility a little bit and some of the strategies, uh, because that's, I think it scares some people to be in there. But let's go back to the subservicing issue, why mm-hmm. you chose to do the servicing in-house versus using one of the subservicers. And do, one of the questions I'm really interested in hearing you talk about is, are you finding Fannie, Freddie, Jenny having a preference one way or the other uh, at all? Did you feel any pressures to subservice versus bringing in-house, or did, you, did they feel nervous when you did it in-house? You know, when we did it so long ago, it it wasn't a, as big of an issue as it might be right now, and so we can talk about we can we, we let's let's put that on hold for right now. Let me let me ask this yep. the first question. Answer the first question. Uh, you know, when when you first start servicing, uh, the, the reason that most places do it with us through a subservice is because economically, it you, you can't make yes. economic sense to bring it in house until you get to about a billion and a half or two billion. It just you just can't make the numbers work. Uh, we did it. Uh, for a couple of reasons, even though the numbers didn't work economically, uh, the agencies were starting to look more at the the actual servicer, not the subservicer, for reps and warranties. And what we what we were finding was that uh, we wanted to be responsible for our, our you know our own book of business, both from the the customer uh, you know the customer experience aspect, but also for you know what you're responsible for for the agencies. So that that was a bigger issue for us than it was the economics. Um, and you know it, it really is about the control of the customer experience that's the biggest thing for us uh we were pretty lucky uh where we are in that uh there was a uh, there was a uh, the old IndyMac group their one of their major ser- major servicing centers was here in Kalamazoo Michigan and so as they were going down uh, we had oh, we had, we had, had a, a bunch of talent a talent pool over there that we were able to draw from uh, which which was which allowed us to actually have that choice because if you're in the middle of some place that doesn't have that talent that you can you can recruit right away it, it's it's not an easy task to to train up that talent or recruit it from other areas and have it move yeah, that's, that is so true. Talent, when it comes to servicing, is so critical, especially if you're just getting into it and just getting your GSEs. They really want to know that you have that. So that that was definitely an advantage. So do you, go ahead. I was just going to jump in on the second part of your question. Yeah. Uh, when it, you know, when like I said, uh, when we when we started retaining servicing uh, in '09 on the conventional space and and late '11 on the Ginny May space, and back then servicing ourselves wasn't a big it wasn't it wasn't a big lift uh, because we had the, the staff, as I said. 
and the agencies didn't look at us uh, as as harshly as they do right now. Uh, I've I've, I've I've consulted with a couple of other firms that are trying to do this, and the way they're being looked at right now is way way tougher than it was back then. So so yeah, to your point, they're 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 a little they're a little more leery about folks bringing it in house uh, uh, than they are with the subservicers. And I think also not all subservicers are created equal. The Fannie, Freddie, Jenny will not tell you which ones they they smile on more, if that's the right term, uh, and mm-hmm. others. So you and it's a little bit of a guessing game. They're in a compromised position, so you just kind of like, you know, how about this one? How about that one? But you made the choice to bring it in, and then also you recently bit the bullet and went with, is it Black Knight, uh, as your backbone of your servicing system? We we did actually we did that about uh, about two years ago and it was it was oh, okay. an expensive expensive choice but it was the best choice we made that uh, their their uh, automation and a lot of the things that that they that they do allowed us to jump and I, I told you we were about a thousand yeah. to eleven hundred uh, loans per FTE back then before Black Knight we were about six hundred so it literally doubled our efficiency in the, in the servicing area plus it gave the quality of the, the the customer experience generated a much higher level of that so uh, we're very very pleased with that and we continue to add new modules onto their onto onto the software and we'll talk about that in a little bit about uh, about retention uh, tools that we have that uh, that we're adding on so very interested very Very interested let's talk about this is an asset that's something you can sell do you find yourself selling servicing these msrs away we have not sold servicing uh, since 2011, uh, when we started retaining uh, the Ginny Mays, uh, except of course for bond programs. You know, with, with right. the state bond programs, uh, they have master servicers, and, and we don't have a choice on those. But no, we have not. We have not sold anything servicing released uh, since then. So what have you found as it relates to better execution? And uh, we have heard that selling servicing in some cases is a better execution. Is that what you found? Yeah, you know, uh, that's probably true if you if you just look purely at the financial aspects uh, of of the asset. You know, we look at it as more we look at it as more than just a financial asset. And of course it is a financial asset, but you know, we're looking at it in terms of wanting to be in our customer's face and keeping that that customer for life. You know, if we if we sell them to if we sell the MSR to a third party, uh, you know, it's probably a one and done uh, relationship with that person cuz you know, if, especially the, the bigger servicers, the servicing aggregators, they're going to gin up their, their marketing machines, and, and we may never see that customer again. But if I retain the servicer, they're seeing my statement every month with my name on it, right. and we actually put our loan officer's name on the statement that goes out there. So the oh, loan officer gets a, okay. gets, a, gets, a, gets a little prop every time the, the statement goes out. And, and if we treat them well on the front side, then we treat them like, like – the great, you know, with great customer care on the servicing side, our likelihood of getting another shot at that customer when they're ready to move up or when they want to refer their their, their friends or their family, that's what we're. It's about building that brand equity. That brand equity, and it is a real opportunity to do that. And when you sell it away, I think sometimes the mistake is it's looked at so much as an asset, more as an asset that can be traded rather than the value of establishing a long-term relationship with it. So it, it, I, I applaud yeah. you for that. That's it, it, just real smart. So I, I like well, the idea I of including the loan officer, keeping them. That's help, got to help with recruiting, Mark. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, the other, the other. Uh, yeah, actually, you know, it's funny. You mentioned that the loan officers. When we first started doing it, we 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 thought it was going to be this huge deal, and we went it out went out yeah. to them, and they said, "Oh, it'll be nice." And 
flash forward six years later, and they absolutely love it. It is it is an amazing recruiting tool. Um, I wanted to mention a couple other things uh, along the lines. Yeah. Once you get to a critical mass of servicing, you know, in the uh, about the range we're in now, the other the other advantage you have besides you know the brand equity with the consumer is you really now have or we have a, a long term cash flow stream that creates a lot of steady in the water mm, yes. as you go. I mean, I, I was listening to the show earlier when the profit doctor was talking about falling volumes and falling margins, and yeah, we're you know we're gearing up for all that. But if you've got a, a nice servicing asset that's throwing off, uh, you know, a good monthly cash flow, it helps absorb a lot of those shocks that that the system that the systems have that the system creates from uh, from a slowdown in rates. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention was. Um, when uh, we are doing our own loans, when we're when we're not selling through the aggregators, right. um, we have what we like to call one version of the truth. A lot of the folks out there like who that. are selling to to multiple companies, you know, if you're selling to Wells or you're selling to Chase or you're selling, you, your underwriter's got to know who this loan's going to, and so all the all the different nuances with dealing with this investor over that investor. When when you're doing your own business with your with with your own agencies, you're direct to Fannie and Ginny, you have one version of the truth so your underwriting standards there's no, no overlays that uh, that a third party is going to create that is going to stop your loans up in your warehouse bank because they're not being purchased or whatever so there's there's a lot of, of good reasons for not selling that asset that's great i think that is a real advantage that a lot of people are locking on to early on and i think it's 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 a great motivator to want to go to this direction as well mm-hmm. as the cash flows over time I want to get into the cash flows in just a little bit later as well but so how do you manage to stay cash flow positive if you're not selling msrs because i mean there's there are there are other, there's the other side of the cash flow side mm-hmm. of that and so talk about how you're staying cash flow positive well, I'll, t- I'll tell you, um, part of it is because when, with our timing on when we started building the portfolio was about it was right in the middle of the mess where, where everybody was, was, was feeling a lot of pressure. And so uh, the, the price people were paying for MSRs was pathetic. In fact, in some cases, it was almost negative. And so when we first started retaining it, it really didn't cost us anything cash flow-wise. In fact, in some cases, like I said, it, it, was, a, it was a positive. But were you um, buying servicing, or were you just no, re- we, only retaining what you originated? Yeah, we just we just retain what we originate. We like to okay. we, you know we like to we like to eat our own cooking pretty pretty much. Um, <laughs> That's good. It's a great expression. But besides that, um, you know, if you look at if you're selling to the aggregators, you're paying. Um, an investor a per loan investor fee you're paying escrow waivers on the government side you're 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 paying llpas based on the based on the fico scores and loan sizes and things like that and when when we mix all of those things in uh, the the hits that you get that you're now keeping if if you're retaining your own servicing you're obviously you're not passing those things through to, to a third party if you think uh, that the typical value of, of of an MSR is around a point uh, you know just to, to make a, an average um, when you when you factor those things in that you're now keeping yourself we we see for us uh, and again because of our average loan size is smaller than some you know instead of it costing us a point to retain the servicing it's more like 60 70 basis points that's that's really what we're giving up by not selling that that to a third party and you know my my average servicing fee between the the, the two products is about uh, 30 basis points so uh, 
you know, in two years, I've got my money back. And so, um, number one, you know, retaining the servicing when I did, it created a, a cash flow machine that now helps offset that. Uh, and then retaining, you know, only costing it, costing me 70, 60, 70 basis points, I can get my money back in two years. And so I really, I don't right now have a cash flow flow issue with, uh, with because of the portfolio again. Now, somebody that was brand new who was starting up today where you don't have the advantage of having a, you know, a, a low cost to retain servicing like we did in the early days. Um, and in fact, the way we were looking at planning it back then was, is really mu- measuring, you know, what the cash flow shortfall was, and then and using it kind of like a like a volume knob to determine do we need to sell 30% of mm-hmm. our MSRs yeah. now in order to in order to make the cash flow positive. But there's there's a formula there that that you know we originally worked out that we kind of threw out the window because the values that we everybody was paying for servicing went 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 down. So it's it's different now than it was when when we started but there's still a formula there but again you need to take the those uh, the lack of investor fees the llpas and the escrow waiver fees that you're now keeping yourself into account and really really look at that the other thing that we do uh, is there's a few banks out there that will that will give you uh, an msr uh, facility, uh, a, facility, a borrowing yeah. facility against your MSRs, and we have uh, we have uh, we have one with uh, with a bank, and there's there's a certain advance rate on the Ginnie Mae piece and a certain advance on the Fannie Mae piece, um, and the bigger piece is is a is a fixed term, which is important as we look forward towards uh, you know liquidity issues that that might be on the horizon, and that is that if you if you're looking at a term loan, a fixed term loan versus a one year line of credit, that term loan is once you once you've closed that you just make your payments and and you and you have that for five years if you have a term facility that's going to expire every every 12 months with your warehouse facility that could go away if there's a if there's a liquidity issue so you know having a a fixed term msr uh financing opportunity that we have in our back pocket if we ever if we ever needed to generate more liquidity if we had to if we had to sell servicing on an emergency basis we've got this this uh msr facility that we can draw on first to cover whatever cash flow issue that we have and then if we had to sell servicing we could sell the servicing so those are all kind of liquidity strategies that we're that we're working towards. that's good so uh, when it comes to the credit facility it is it's almost like a home equity line of credit where you draw on it if you need it but Mm -hmm. it's there in place it's not something where you have it out all the time do you keep it to a certain level a percentage of the portfolio of the value or when you, any what insights on that? I think that the, the maximum you're going to get out there from from anybody is going to be about fifty percent of the value of your portfolio. Yeah, fifty, yeah. maybe yeah. sixty on a, on a yeah. Let's shift over to those uh, those big surprises that come up when you launch this thing. A lot of people are listening to this and respect you as a leader. You're high profile within our industry. Certainly, and I and highly regard. I bring up your name anywhere I go. I said I had Mark Jones. Oh, I just think that guy is just so smart and everything else. And and you've done some really smart things. But there were some surprises along the way. At least I would assume they were when you uh, when you have a servicing portfolio. So talk about some of those. Absolutely, absolutely. I, you know, I I I think the the largest single surprise that that we encountered. Um, was the, the advances, servicing advances that uh, that mm-hmm. are required, even for a, a, a really 
well-performing portfolio. And, you know, and for your listeners, um, our portfolio, the, the vintage of the portfolio is 2009 was the first time we started retaining conventional servicing in 20, third quarter or fourth quarter of 2011 on the Ginny May. So it's, it's, it's great vintage. I mean, all that stuff is the higher FICO, higher, higher performing stuff. And we still uh, are making uh, advances uh, for taxes and insurance escrows, uh, way higher than, than I expected. You know, for, for, for an example right now, uh, a $3.3 billion servicing portfolio, our delinquencies are, 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 are below the industry average. We have about a million two to a million five of escrow advances. That's our cash that's, that because the borrower's escrow account was short that we have, that we as a servicer are required You're, to advance. Yeah. And then we get it, we get it back from them, you know, incrementally over over raising their payment 50, 15 or 20 or 30 bucks a month to, to get that money back. But there's there's almost, by the way we calculate escrows in our industry, uh, on the initial, it almost guarantees a shortfall when they when they go around to the next year and do that analysis. So that, that you know, the, the cash that's needed to do that uh, is, is a surprise. Now, if you've got a poorly performing portfolio, particularly if you're a Ginnie Mae issuer, you're required yes. to continue to make advances to the to the investors in the Ginnie Mae bonds, whether you're making whether you've received the payment in or not. And you know that was completely went in open eyed and expected that planned for that. You know if if delinquencies got worse, what I didn't expect though was to have this wonderfully performing portfolio and having to make these advances, but but it's there. And so if if the delinquencies go up, then you've got that on top of it. So when, as, a, as a servicer, particularly on the Ginny May space, you have to really do a lot of looking forward and, and stressing your portfolio to see if, uh, if uh, the delinquencies pick up what does that mean from a cash stand, a cash flow standpoint that's the point that, yeah. that's 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 the that was the biggest issue so that was on the that was on the negative side uh, on the positive side i was uh, i was really surprised by the uh, the the amount of ancillary income that that the portfolio throws off yeah. uh, you know i thought it'd be a couple thousand bucks a month uh, it was you know when you get to the size portfolio we have you know between convenience fees for phone pays and late charges um, um, uh, there, there's money that uh, that investors pay you for uh, for different activities that you do to uh, to get pr- non-performing loans performing uh, in fact some of the agencies have special programs to help uh, to help borrowers who are in difficult situations which we're willing to do anyway and and that that ancillary income piece just it kind of offset the, the the negative surprise of the uh, of, of the of the escrow advances so yeah it was uh, it, was, it, it, it was interesting. Let's talk about when you have a servicing portfolio, what keeps you awake at night as it relates to that portfolio? Well, um, you know, I heard Paul talking a little bit about this earlier in your program, but if you've been reading the press uh, recently, uh, there are growing concerns, uh, a drumbeat. I've, I've heard uh, Bill Cosgrove from MBA talk about uh, yeah, non-banks, uh, non-banks replacing uh, banks in the servicing space and creating a risk to the system. And you know, uh, it, it's it's really it's it's cre- this is 
this level of angst that's been created at the federal level uh, and, and what that means for us. You know, I'm, I'm, we're already starting to, to get more questions from, from agencies than we've gotten before, and, and I suspect that uh, there's some new metrics around liquidity uh, in, in particular that are already in place, but, but not let, they haven't been published to us yet. You know, we're already seeing, we're seeing agencies, it, it almost feels like they're moving the goalposts, but they're not telling anybody about it. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah. what keeps me awake at night is, is, is having an agency say, um, you can't, uh, you can't fund anymore with us. So you remember when Fannie Mae, for, uh, after the meltdown came out and they, they implemented these volume limitations, but they wouldn't tell you what they were. That's right. It feels like uh, this, this whole thing, uh, and it, it's all the way up at the, the, the Federal Reserve and the Treasury. They're, they're talking about this. I was invited last year to a Ginnie Mae symposium, and they were all there, and, and they, they, they feel this is, uh, this is a, a potential risk to the system. And, uh, and so uh, if they believe that, and they're going to change the requirements. They need to they need to communicate those to us. Tell us what they are, and allow us as as good managers to manage to those instead of having this black box that nobody can see into and, and try and guess where they're going. So, that's that's really what keeps me uh, yeah, awake at night from a, from that, a servicing standpoint. Yeah, it, it, it definitely got your. It can get your attention because you're doing it on behalf of someone, an investor, and what what does that mean? So that really brings us over to what the GSC reforms and principles and the quadrangles that that the NBA has published on that. Uh, any thoughts what this does? And I want to get your thoughts on that, and then wrap up with last advice to servicers. So. When the NBA came out last week with their GSE reform principles, does this change your focus at all, Mark, uh, or your strategy on retaining servicing and, and, and doubling down no. on your strategy, or does it cause you to uh, uh, reconsider? Uh, you know what? I, I I am really a fan of the MBA's uh, documents. Uh, I, l- I love the principles and guardrails. I I, I believe that there, particularly as a small uh, non-bank lender, uh, there are right. some things about GSE reform that we were worried about, and that was you know the 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 the, the big boys being able to 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 wag the dog again like they did back in the old days when uh, mm-hmm. when Countrywide and Bank of America and Wells Fargo used to tell Fannie and Freddie how to run their business. And so we were afraid that, that it was going to go back to, to those days. And if you read this document, there are some things in here that talk about um, guarantors uh, must be completely transparent and, and direct access for lenders of all sizes and types. Pricing and programs should not be based on, on loan volume or based on the size of the participant, and then the other part that was concerning was that maybe one of the one of the big big boys would try and become a guarantor themselves. So there's specific language right. preventing that in part. here, saying that it cannot a bank holding company cannot be a guarantor. You know, it's it's going to be it's going to be what's left over from Fannie, Freddie, and they'd like to have a couple more guarantors in there. And so, really, from my standpoint, it it's it's like a utility model, which is what the IMBs have yes. really wanted for a long time. Is a, is a government backed utility model where it doesn't matter if I'm Wells Fargo or Amerifirst, I get the same price from that utility. So very happy with it. I'm very glad. Yeah, the guardrails on that specifically are some of the things that just um, – I said quadrangles earlier. I don't know where I was reading that. But anyway, guardrails are really solid uh, and should encourage servicers to get in. So any as parting advice you have for new servicers, and then circle around to Annie and Joe, see if there's any questions from them. So any, uh, well, any advice? 
Well, first of all, I, I mentioned this earlier, some of the software upgrades that we're having with the Black Knight system, uh, you have to have a, a servicing retention place, a re retention strategy in place. Uh, you're investing a lot of money by not, by, by not selling it, you are investing in it, right? If you didn't sell it, you bought it, you're investing a lot of money in this. It would be a shame for you to let those customers go down the road. We, uh, we have, I mentioned earlier, Black Knight has a couple of new uh, additions that we've recently purchased. One, you know, if a customer pulls their their mouse over their over their balance on the, on the online system, we get triggered that a customer is looking at their balance. So we oh. get, get, can get the loan officer right on them. Right. They also have a program yeah. where if any loan in our servicing portfolio, if the home is listed for sale, uh, we get triggered on, on that as well. So the loan officer can then go out and say, Oh, I see you're you're listing your home for sale. Are you what are you what are you doing next? And so that's those are a couple of tools that we have in place, and then there's more in the process to make sure that uh, that you've got a retention plan, uh, retention strategy in place. The other thing is with what I mentioned before, with the government looking harder and harder at we non-banks, uh, you need to really focus in on your liquidity strategy, particularly if you want to be a Gini May uh, servicer, issuer servicer. You need to, and there's there's companies out there, a lot of the servicing companies that are the servicing brokers, they have these models where you can right. you can stress test your you can stress test your portfolio, and say if my delinquencies double. This is what it means to me from a cash standpoint. If they quadruple, here's what it means to me. And then the MBA yes. is, is about ready to put out some 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 uh, benchmarking guidelines along those lines to where they're looking at the worst uh, couple of quarters in history, so we can have all these different tools to be oh, able good. to say, okay, if I if if here's my current portfolio, here's what the industry average is. If I stress it here, I'm going to need to have six million dollars on my balance sheet. Oh, I've only got four. Now I know what I got to do. Right. Yep. Yep. That's really good advice. Uh, it's, it's a really important tool. Stress testing us down the profit doctors area, but we're going to go to him in just a minute. But Joe Farr, you're still on the line. Any questions or thoughts that you, uh, as you've listened to this interview? Well, I keep coming back to the question about loan officers and retention. Is there a difference in commission on a retained loan, or how do you do, deal with that? Econ the economics of you know, the, the, the cost of an origination um, at the same time you're losing the previous money you spent by investing and in, by not selling the servicing. Uh, you know, we we look at that as as a cost of doing business. We give the lead back to our loan officer and let them and let them work with it, and, and they get they get full commission on it. There's no there's no change there. Um, We've never been a refi shop, so we don't have a separate a separate channel in place to to do that uh, on an in-house basis. I know a lot of companies will do that to re to reduce the cost for the borrower, mm -hmm. but we've just not we've just not gone there. Yeah, well, it, and that's why the LOs like it, right? So it's a yeah, yeah some good good great tool. good coming out of that too. Yeah. Well, and I think I think as rates rise, um, the second piece that I mentioned, where we we get we get notified if the property is listed for sale, that obviously is not going to be create a refinance lead. It's going to be a new right. purchase lead. Yeah, good point. Good point. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Profit doctor Andy. I know you got you can turn this into we could turn this into another hour program on this topic, but oh, uh, your thoughts. Well, first, Mark has an amazing handle on servicing. You know, I've been in servicing 30 years. He's been in it for three, and he's got it. It's a, I'm very impressed with all the things that Mark touched on. 
Uh, one one quick side note about that cash cash stress test is obviously you're not going to get the payment when you don't get the payment on an escrow loan. You don't get the escrow, so now you got to pay the taxes and insurance without getting any money at all from the customer, depending upon the link of delinquency. So, Dave, you mentioned about you want to circle back on MSR volatility, which, interestingly yeah. enough, that was the thing Mark and I talked about on the pre-show. And uh, he had some That's good right. comments that I thought were were really on point about uh, basically not all appraisers are the same. So I wanted to throw it back to him. I wanted to add costs make a difference. If your costs are higher, your MSR is going to be lower. Uh, but also, uh, Mark, what were you saying about managing your MSR volatility by uh, picking your appraiser. Well, um, you know, we're required by our, by our warehouse banks to have our to have our um, MSR uh, faci- our facility not facility our MSR balances uh, audited by a third party and and create a value so it so it can validate what we're putting on our on our income statement our balance sheet. And what we're what we've found is that uh, there are some there are some appraisers out there that are uh, that are a little more conservative. They'll look at they'll look at our prepay speeds and they'll and they'll um, they'll they'll amp them up more than than one of our more local ones because they're they're actually looking into our our actual portfolio and saying uh, their prepay speeds are lower than the industry average and so we can justify our higher value. Whereas the other party would would just say oh, we're just going to take standard industry speeds and by doing that you know there may be a difference in valuation of 10 basis points and 10 basis points doesn't sound like a lot until you're looking at a three billion dollar servicing portfolio and you know now you're talking about you know a a significant amount of money that's going to swing your balance sheet in in, or your income statement in one month exactly that's great mark and you know these appraisers are just applying tools i mean they 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 can't predict the future they don't have a crystal ball if they could they wouldn't be appraising they don't know on their own island by now exactly <laughs> right exactly. it's all about yeah exactly right and, and we and and just to talk about volatility last year in in 2016 our low water mark for our for our MSR portfolio as as an average was about 85 basis points and at the end of the year it was just over a point so you know 15 basis points on 3 billion dollars is a huge swing no both, kidding both, both, kidding. both, both ways when it was going down and then when it came back up yeah and then you got to explain that to your board and to everybody else warehouse lenders yeah. Well, I, I, my board my board is two people, so that's pretty easy. My partner and no. myself. But, <laughs> no, but, but, yeah. Well, and I think that what the warehouse lenders see is uh, is some other folks that may have may have uh, marked their portfolios up too high are taking huge write-offs. I mean, we're we're marking ours to market every quarter, like I mentioned. So, so you know, the as it goes down, you know, we're we're having to write off when it goes down. We're having to write off, you know, several hundred thousand over a quarter versus uh, waiting too long and then having a, a write down that's seven figures. So. Yep, exactly. Which has great challenges for your warehouse planner. I'm looking at the time, man. We went way over, but it was worth it. It was just so much information. Mark, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today and covering this really important topic. And we're looking forward to seeing a lot of folks at the servicing conference. Several people have texted me and say, is Mark going to be at the MBA servicing conference? They'd love to connect with you. I am not, um, unfortunately. Um, I'm going to be... I'm actually I'm on I'm on MBA's board and we have a board meeting that uh, that that, that is at about coincides. the same time it coincides with that yeah. yeah 
Yeah, well, it's unfortunate. A lot of people love to connect with you. You did an awesome job of covering a, somewhat of a complex topic. It's not that complex. I encourage you as listeners to get into doing your research on it. Uh, a lot of people are resources out there on it. Mark is a great one. There's Go back and listen to this podcast three years ago. You can look him up by just searching Mark's name, Mark Jones, and uh, you can look his name up, and you can go back to those podcasts. Also, get a hold of Andy Shell. He'll help you with it. Folks, good to have you with us. Mark, thank you so much. Mark is the Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder of Merit First Mortgage. He's been thank kind you, enough to give us a good amount of time, and I want to say thank you, Mark, very much. It was, a ple- it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. You bet. Appreciate it. Next week, we've got Trisha Megliazzo joining us from the NBA. Looking forward to that interview. Always fun to be a part of these. Thank you so much. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you back here next week. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin, of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us again next week, and thank you for listening.